0: Amen. Our scripture for today comes from the gospel according to Matthew, actually, gospel according to Matthew. I've been messing around with it. So that's what we're going with today, not Acts, Matthew. We're good. Um, Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 through 30. Hear these words. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have shown them to babies. Indeed, Father, this brings you happiness. My Father has handed all things over to me. No one knows the Son except the Father, and nobody knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son wants to reveal him. And then Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden. Is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So I I went to undergrad at the University of Texas, and while I was there, um, I got really into UT basketball. I was I was at UT from 2001 to 2004. We did not have a great Football team during that time, um, we, I don't, we never beat Oklahoma during that time, my, my last year at UT, uh, I was one of three people wearing orange in the Cotton Bowl when the score was 65 to 13. <laughs> it was not, not a fun place to be. And so I decided, I'm going to get into basketball. That seems fun. <laughs> they were, the, the Longhorns had gone to the Final Four uh, my second year there, so my third year. I'm excited. And student tickets, you could go in free to a game. Um, you just have to, watch. I mean, it's not free. It costs a ton of money to go to college, but it felt free to me. And so I just show them my ID and I walk through the door. And at this time as well, I had read this novel um, called Siddhartha by Herman Hess. And one of the characters in the novel says that if you pray and if you fast, you can do anything because you can just outweigh anybody. And so what I took from that is that I could get really good seats at basketball by going early. And I just went before everybody else. And it was great. In early season games, there's very few people anyway. And so I would get right behind the backboard. It was really fun. It's a very different experience being on on the court than not on the court, which I discovered it's like, I like this feeling. And so I kept on going back. And eventually, I I started to meet a few more people. And then they were telling me that conference games, you really have to camp out for it. And not like a tent, but I was like, I can camp. And so I brought a sleeping bag and some peanut butter and jellies, and I was fine. It was great. Um, I didn't have many friends outside of the campus ministry I was involved in. And so I started making some new friends in these like weird basketball campouts and there was people who had graduated because the system wasn't that sophisticated so all you did was show your ID and they let you in. So there was these like 30 year old guys who were getting free tickets at basketball but they had jobs and money and brought food for us so that was also great. (laughs) Um, And this, this led eventually to a 17 hour road trip in the back of a CRV to Denver which um, those early two thousand CRVs are not very expansive as sports utility vehicles, but it was like, this is, this is fun, this is great, it was, it was meaningful, it was nice to be a part of something. It was great to be a part of something. My friends, we are continuing our story, our series on the sacred story on what it means to be a part of something, but not something that is just superficial, not something that is just fun to do for a few years in college, but meaningful and life-changing. A few weeks ago, I shared about the two passages in the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke 18 and 19. Luke 18, the parable of the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asks him, well, have you done the commandments? Do you, have you committed adultery? Have you killed? He's like, no, I followed all the commandments all my life. And then Jesus tells him, well, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then he's very sad and he walks away. And it's like the scripture, and this passage is in a few of the gospels, but he says, and he was sad because he had many possessions. So I feel like, I feel like it's like a teenager who's like really angsty and just can't take the car out on the weekend and just walking away. That's what I was. I don't know what teens are like today, but that's how I was as a teenager. But, but so that's, that's one passage. And then we have Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus the sinner, Zacchaeus um, the, the corrupt official who skims a lot off the top, which skimming off the top is a nice way to say stealing. And so Zacchaeus the thief, nobody likes him because everybody knows he steals and they can't do anything about it because he's friends with the Romans. But then they, he hears that Jesus is coming that day. And so he climbs up that sycamore tree And he looks down for Jesus, and then Jesus looks back at him, and his life changes. And his life is transformed, and he converts. And convert is sometimes in English thought of as this like world systems thing, but it really in Greek is just like changing direction. His life was going one way, and then he sees Jesus, and he's going another way. He doesn't know what it's going to mean when that happens. He doesn't know what the consequences are going to be when Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today but his life has changed. He converts, he he pledges restitution for those he has hurt in his life, and he pledges thanksgiving to God for for offering him life and offering a future free of that sin, free of that burden of all those crimes that he committed, all those wrongs that he did in his life. Last week, we looked at our individual sacred stories, how, how your sacred story is different from my sacred story, how we can't control the stories of the people around us. We can only receive from God who we were created to be. But sometimes we are, we are told by society and by the world to wear these costumes to pretend to be people we are not, to pretend to live in ways that we don't really want to, to do things in order to make other people like us when really before anything else, before we were even born, you were loved by God. You were forgiving by God, and how God can cut through those costumes we wear for the world and free us to live our sacred story. Today, we are talking about our sacred story, not as individuals, but as a collective body. What is amazing about Christianity is that we are all in the body of Christ, and through, through the Trinity, through the God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this happens concretely. The Holy Spirit is concretely drawing us together in ways that we are not even aware of it the, the holy spirit is drawing those who are watching online together with us even when we are not aware of it the holy spirit is gathering our community around and that we are created we are we're we hands and feet and hands are not feet you know, you can look at your, your hands, and even like the left hand is not the right hand. They are different, and sometimes the church gets in trouble when we pretend that everybody is the exact same, and does the exact same, and thinks the ex- exact same, but really, we have hands, and we have feet, and we have eyes, and we have hearts, and we have stomachs, and we have these parts of the body that work together, and that being a part of the church is not being like a member of a club, but being a member of a body. It's, it's saying like, I'm going to be a hand For Jesus, I'm going to be a foot for Jesus. And an earlobe for Jesus. We need those earlobes too. Everybody has a place of purpose in the body of Christ. As Jesus says in the reading for today, I thank you, God, because you have hidden this from the wise and the intelligent and revealed it to infants. The amazing thing about the revelation, the revealing of Jesus Christ to the world, to each of us, to each of us, is that it's not just for the rich and the exceptional it's, just, it's not just for people who go to seminary. It's not just for people who were in church all their life. It's not just for people who have amazing conversion stories. It's not just for other people. It is for you. The story of Jesus is for you. It is for us. It is for our children. It's not something that we whisper secretly, and then when they get to a certain age, we in, enter them into the secret world. Like, confirmation is important to have people accept their faith, but we want to share our faith with our kids from the day they are born and and offer it daily as parents, as a church, as a community. We in the Methodist church, we, we baptize infants because we realize our will, our individual voice is not the central act in baptism. It is God's power. It is God's claim over this person's life. And so whether or not you are six months old, six years old, or 60 years old, we want to offer that gift to you. The collective body of Christ is not just this immaterial, ethereal thing that like, floats around the world. It is concrete. It is here. And I want to share a little of the early years of this church to remind us of that collective body. In 2002, a group of, of families got together and wrote a letter to the district superintendent of the Austin District of the United Methodist Church. Now, district superintendents are, are like matinized, our boss is the DS. Um, and that kind of thing. We are, um, and they are kind of, you know, supervisors. Everybody has a supervisor, they're a supervisor. But if a church needs to be planted, it has to go through that process. So they wrote a letter to that, the district superintendent whose name was Dr. Robert Hall. Now, I knew Dr. Hall before I'd ever heard of Bee Creek because his daughter, Dr. Amy Laura Hall, was a professor of mine at Duke. And she had, is actually the reason I went to Duke. She came and gave a talk at uh, Texas Wesley. Um, it was not very well attended. There were three of us who showed up. Um, but all three of us ended up at Duke. Um, Two of us are clergy, and the other person is actually on faculty at Duke in New Testament. So it was a pretty successful rate of of recruitment, but I knew Dr. Dr. Hall um, was really helpful with me at seminary, and when I came back to Austin, She asked a few of her students, because her father had retired by that point, if we could have coffee with her dad, because he just wanted to talk about theology, and he was retired. (laughs) And so I started having coffee with Dr. Hall and getting to know him. And after getting to know him, I can totally see how accepting he was of, this is a great idea, this is a location, we're going to get a pastor here, we're going to get this started. Because six months is a really quick turnaround time on a church plant. And so they write a letter in January, and then by June, there is a pastor, And the church has offered, the United Methodist Church has offered money to fully fund that pasture for a year to plant. Pastor David Payne was appointed here in 2002, in July 16th of 2002, there was a meeting at the Briarcliff Community Center, and there was the first public gathering outside of someone's home of what would soon be the the Pedernales United Methodist Church. And that was one of the first things they did that month was decide on a name. There were three names up. It was Spicewood United Methodist Church, Peternalis, or or Pernalas United Methodist Church, and um, Hill Country United Methodist Church. And they they chose Pernalas first instead, but knowing that it could change later. And they started meeting together during the fall. Small groups were organized in, in homes and other things like that. And then they decided to have their first official service at the resort ranch off Pace Bend, road, and um, yeah, off by the park over there. I think, yeah, over there, yeah. And so that was where their first um, service was going to be on Palm Sunday in 2003. And Resort Ranch is a wedding venue and party venue, and the owner said, well, you know, we'll rent it to you, Methodists, but we're not gonna clean it. And so um, the, first, the first people of this church didn't didn't turn away from that. They weren't afraid to to sweep up some beer bottles and some cigarette butts and some other things that happen at a party and to get ready for worship. And that DNA, I've noticed, even over the few months I've been here, is still in this church, is the people willing to do what needs to be done for the body of Christ to to appear, to, to help our neighbors, to serve our neighbors. It's amazing. A property search was going on at that time, and and all of this, my my knowledge of this comes from the amazing Miss Jo Watts and her scrapbooks, um, which are in the library and are really worthwhile, yay! Um, I would not... I would not know this story. It would be really, it would take me a long time to hear this story if I was just talking to people, but she has all of these details. And so she even has the property search committee report talking about the, the property on 71 and Pace Bend Road, right by the Paleface Grocer that that was one of the first places where they were looking to acquire property and build the church. Um, but that, I don't, I don't know the details of what happened, but that's, that was dropped after that. And then pretty soon, um, they got to chartering. Now, chartering, Is a really churchy word, which means trans, bless you, (laughs) which means transitioning from a church plant into a proper church. And the church plant has a lot of resources coming in from the global church and doesn't have to pay out at all and support anything, whereas a a proper church does. They kind of get cut off from the conference and then they have to start paying apportionment. So it's a big step to go within a year from a church plant to a fully functional church. But it was going because people were coming, people were responding to the messages that were being preached and the activities that were going on in this place. And then pretty soon, by the end of the year, there was a, a church conference, which is another method. You know, once you talk to a Methodist, there's a lot of words that have no use outside of the Methodist church. Um, but that's, that's one of them. A church conference is when the church comes together and has a conference. The good thing is with Methodists, it's all like really literal. Um, so the church conference to vote on accepting basically this property here as a donation. And so by the end of the year, there was a, a, a conference to accept it, which it's pretty easy just to accept land that someone is giving to the church. And so that's, that was great. They accepted it. They purchased a few more tracts right down there to complete the property. And then at the beginning of January of 2004, they cleared off a spot of land and had a tent service. Here, they had a tent service for the future Peternalis United Methodist Church. <laughs> you know, and so that... As you can understand, that's not our name. Currently, I understand there, were, there was another church in the area that decided to name themselves that afterwards. And so um, right around, right after uh, we got the contract for the building committee was that they decided to have a, a church charge conference, another conference, all everybody together, to vote on approving the building plans, approving um, a loan for the building plans, and to change the name of the church to, to Bee Creek United Methodist Church. All of that happened in 2005. That's going from 2002, a few conversations in some people's bedrooms, to 2005, Bee Creek United Methodist Church, building plans approved, um, name changed. We are here. Now, a lot has happened since then. In 2010, Pastor David was called away to a church in the valley, and Pastor Laura was sent here. And the church continued to grow and expand and to to understand in new ways what its purpose was in this community. And then this past year, the pandemic hit, and Pastor Laura was called away also to the valley, and, and I was sent here. And the church did not die. The church did not end. Our story is not over. The story of Bee Creek is not the story of this land. It's not the story of the clergy who have served here. It is the story of the people of God. It is the story of the people of God who have been called from wherever they have been in their life and called to a place, called to meet here and then to go out. In the midst of of all that was going on, the first relationship with the Lucinda Orphanage started and they started sending missionaries down there and building that relationship as well in the midst of it, in the first years of the church, a relationship started with the Church Under the Bridge ministry in Austin, which has a special place in my heart because my first first date with my wife was actually at a worship service at Church Under the Bridge. That's where she was worshiping, and I had met her at this dinner, par- dinner party. It was arranged. Um, we were the only single people. We were assigned seats next to each other. It, it was going well, but I didn't get her number. And so, um, and so I knew she was a part of this, so I went to the church under the bridge, and at that point they were, they were under, under the bridge, under I-35, and I stood there awkwardly in the corner until the very end, and then walked up at the end. But I count that as our first date, that's really it. Um, <laughs> but I love, I love that ministry, I think that's so cool, to have that overlap. But, but no matter what the reason is for you coming to this church at whatever point in your life you did, or seeking out God at whatever point Oftentimes, when we, when we look for a church, it's because something is missing. Even when we don't know that that's what we're doing, something is missing in our life. We are restless. We're looking for a home in this broken world. And we stay because we have found rest. We have found a connection. We stay at a church because there is a connection that has been made. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest come to me all he says jesus doesn't call us as individuals but as a collective body together it is our story not mine it is our story in this place where god has been present to so many people and god has sent out so many people and formed so many people over the years our rest in god is not the end of our story but the beginning of our story. We begin by resting together in the grace of God. We move to act out God's love in this world. It is our story of God here, not mine, not yours. You cannot claim it. You cannot control what God is doing. We cannot control what God is doing. The pastors cannot control and say, God is going to move in this way on Tuesday. That is not how God functions (laughs) That is not how the Holy Spirit functions. Every time the church has declared too much what God is going to do, we have got tripped over our own feet. That God is making all things new. God is constantly surprising us and transforming lives we thought could never be saved. God is constantly surprising us. It is our story. No individual owns it. And our sacred story is not finished. We are not completed. This church is not Done And the future of the church is not even present yet. There's a future beyond the status quo. There's a future beyond COVID. There's a future beyond, beyond social distancing. And there's a future that's beyond what the church looked like eight months ago. Because our future is not going to be the exact same as our past because God is making things new. And God is calling us to serve others, to minister to others. God is calling us to transform ourselves, not to be content with where we are in our faith, but to take a step forward. We don't have to be like Zacchaeus to turn our life around. God may be calling you to change this day. God may be calling you to move further into God's story for your life, God's story for this church. Our future is found in missions and ministries that have not even been conceived, in people that are not Here yet. What this means is that those of us who are here must stake a claim on God's sacred story for this place. We wish to be a body of people that align our story with God's story and align ourselves by seeking God's mercies here and listening for God's call to others. In order to be a location of God's mercies in the future, we must be faithful to, to God's call for today. How can we be faithful to God's call? today. Part of this means being a people of generosity, remembering the grace that God has shown us to draw us from ourselves, to show us a place of rest for our souls, and that that is entirely gift. Generosity not just as a response to need, as a response to past actions like, like Zacchaeus, but generosity that offers a way to the future by pledging and committing to what God is going to be doing. God offers us an opportunity to be a part of God's story here. And our story is not over, and it won't be over next year. It won't be over in five years. God is making all things new. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.